Thank you, Dean. No pressure, but I have to be nice now. There goes, there goes my sermon. Got to say, I like the association with Simon Cowell. And for, <laughs> for those who, who know how Matthew chapter 7 begins, it starts with Jesus saying not to judge. But here's the great thing about my job as a Christian is that I'm actually paid to judge because I'm a teacher. And I have to grade people and judge them on things like presentations. Hey, Courtney. So I get an exception. That's, that's really quite nice. I don't think I can take that, out, that attitude to home and be Simon Cowell when my wife is singing. But she's lovely and I don't need to. It's just earning some brownie points to start with. Thank you so much for having us. I do feel very privileged to be here. And Dean and Gina are the nice people too. They really are. And we had a great time yesterday afternoon. We flew in, spent a couple of hours or so in Wellington before we caught up with Dean. And isn't Wellington an interesting place? Upper Hutt's far nicer. People are better. Wellington's great, but, you know, for us little country folk from Nelson, man, there's some sights. <laughs> and we were rather perplexed. There was stuff going on in the city yesterday that people in windows dressed very strange, transvestite kind of things, doing all sorts of interesting movements. And then we go down to the waterfront, and there are growing men wearing white covered in bells, waving sticks around, doing Morris dancing. And I've got to be honest, I'm not sure which one was more disturbing. <laughs> but hey, who am I to judge? In fact, I will actually get a clock out because as a teacher, I normally have a lot longer than you've, you've given me. And uh, I need to make sure I don't go over time. You are God's treasure box. In 1991, the New York Times ran a story about a man who went to a flea market in Pennsylvania, and he bought a piece of art for the lowly sum of $4. And he didn't buy the painting because he liked it. In fact, he thought it was pretty horrible. He bought the painting because he wanted the frame. And when he got at home, he was pulling the frame apart, taking the picture out. And as he was doing it, he discovered, to his surprise, hidden inside the picture frame was this mint condition but very old-looking letter. Experts later told him this was an original first print edition of only two dozen made of the Declaration of Independence. Sotheby's Auction House, not long after this, sold that letter, not for $4, but for $2.42 million. God puts the most unexpected of treasures in the most unexpected of places, and that's you. 
If you are a Christian, if you have said yes to a life following Christ, the scriptures tell us that the greatest treasure imaginable has been placed inside you. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to read from chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you get to Romans, keep going. And if you get to Galatians, stick it in reverse. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I want to let us consider three things from particularly verse 7. What it is that you have, where you have it, and why you have it. So firstly, what is it that we have? Before I talk about treasure, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of words. And forgive me, but this is me being the teacher, just for a moment. Before we read the word treasure, the word before that is the word this. The kind of word we would normally skip past. It's important to note that because what it tells us is the treasure we're dealing with is not any old treasure. We have this treasure. That means it's a very special and a very particular and a specific treasure. It's not any old treasure. We go back one more word and we see have. This is really turning into a grammar lesson. Present tense. Why is that important? This is, yeah, this is not something that you had and you've lost. This is not something that one day you'll get. This is something the Christian has now. You have this treasure. We all know what treasure is about. Some of us have lots of treasure, some of us not so much. But when we think of treasure, we're dealing with wealth and we're dealing with value. Think about the royal family and their collection of the royal jewels they have on display in the Tower of London. When you look at all those precious jewels, I would imagine the thought that comes to your mind is, man, the queen is loaded. That's a lot of wealth. Speaks of wealth. But treasure also speaks of value. And as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And as you read through the pages of history, you will see time and time again stories of people pursuing, even killing, for things that they treasured enough to place a high value on. 
So what exactly is this treasure? If we just go back one verse, we actually get the answer. Verse 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me just break that down to a, a shorter way of saying it. This treasure is the gospel of Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit residing in the Christian. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that gave the first disciples the boldness and the courage to stand up in face of a culture who said no to everything they were proclaiming, is the same power and the same treasure that lives inside every one of you who are Christians. Before we move on, I just want to remind us of what the gospel is. Because the older I have become as a Christian, I've been a Christian most of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I was the father of a pastor. So please pray for all those people. But here's what I've discovered. The longer I do this journey, the more I need to hear the gospel. A Christian is someone who never, ever graduates past the gospel message. And if you're feeling dry in your spirituality, let me encourage you with this. Go back to the basics. Why are the All Blacks so good? It's because they've totally nailed the basics. How can you tell an adult? An adult is the person who successfully does the basics all the time. When our kids are young, we want them to learn to wash their teeth and clean their face and go to bed and get some sleep and eat healthy food. If you want to have life-giving and life-sustaining habits, you remain stuck on the basics. It's no different in the spiritual life. Stick to the basic gospel. Study the rest of the word. Grow in maturity as we are encouraged, but do not go past the basic message of the gospel. And here it is. I found this online. I've made some of the words a little bit different just to make it easier to get through. And if it comes up, great. But looking at the word gospel, starting with the letter G, God created a beautiful and a perfect world in which we were to live with him in harmony. Oh, our lack of trust in him has broken not only us, but also the world in which we live. Yes, saving ourselves by good works is impossible. Every other religion in the world is reliant on people doing enough in order to be good enough to make it back to God. Every other belief system that does not believe in a God is exactly the same. They promise that only you can be your savior or only us as humans can save us. And it doesn't take too long to look around this world and realize that's the biggest lie you can ever consider. Centuries of history prove undoubtedly the problem is not government and the problem is not money and the problem is not the system. Why are we still so messed up in this world? Because the problem, ladies and gentlemen, 
lies inside the heart of every single one of us. And none of us, in our own means, is capable of fixing a heart that is faulty. The answer must come from without, not from within. Paying the price for our rebellion, Jesus died and he rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. L, life with Jesus, our Savior, starts now and lasts forever. How valuable is this treasure? It is priceless. There is nothing that compares. You are God's treasure box. That's what we have. Where do we have it? Now we know this because we read it. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why would Paul use such language? Jars of clay in the ancient times were like our Tupperware containers or our cardboard boxes. And we've just gone from how amazing the treasure is, and now you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm now being compared to a cardboard box or a Tupperware container. But I want you to note what Paul is doing as he writes these words, inspired by God. He's not putting us down. He's drawing a contrast. In comparison to a clay jar, the treasure within is vastly greater. In ancient times, jars of clay would be used for storage, they'd be used for transportation. You put your things in them, and normally it's not your precious things. Because what do we do with precious things? We put them somewhere safe, somewhere fancy. And what would happen often is when it's time to retrieve the goods from your clay jars, what do you do? Smash them open. They were frail, plain, ordinary, useful, and replaceable. They were everywhere. Archaeologists today, one of the things they always find in the Middle East without fail is pieces of broken clay pots because they were just all over the show. So consider this again. Paul is drawing a contrast between our frail human bodies and the treasure that Christ has put within us. He's not saying you're worthless. He's saying consider how much greater the treasure inside you is because you are a clay pot. So when we consider clay pots, two things that came to mind for me, time and trouble is what makes being a clay pot a clay pot. Because time is no friend to clay pots. We all know this. And for the young people in the room, give it a few years and you'll know what we're talking about. Gravity wins, as the saying goes. And the older we get, the more we start to feel the weaknesses and the frailties of the clay pot that we have, right? I always remember my dad joking when he started getting older and he'd say things like, whenever I drop my keys on the floor and I get down to pick them up, while I'm down there, I just wonder if there's anything else I can do because it's going to take me a while to get up again. (laughs) And uh, I don't know 
what the situation with some of you in the room is, but here's something to encourage the ladies. I take this quote from none other than Agatha Christie. And she said this, the best husband a woman can marry is an archaeologist. Because the older she gets, the more interested in her he becomes. So if you're looking for a husband, ladies, go to university to the archaeology department. But here's the one that really hits home. Time is an issue in these vessels that we have, but the bigger one is trouble. This is not an easy world to live in. Jesus promised trouble in this world. I don't need to labor this point because you know. Every single one of you know what it's like to have pain and what it's like to suffer in some degree. And troubles in this world come in many shapes and in many sizes. But let's look what Paul also says. Now the context here is Paul is talking about him as an apostle and as a minister of the gospel. But we can see a parallel to us as the everyday Christian. We are afflicted. We are driven to despair. We're persecuted and we're forsaken. And here's another key word. But. Paul is down, but not out. He is lonely, but not alone. He is beaten, but not finished. He has loss, but he is not at a loss. This is the power of the gospel. It doesn't promise an easy ride. Think of the psalmist in Psalm 23. God promises to walk through the valley with us, not to rip us out of it. In the greatest act in human history, and the one thing that makes Christianity different from all the other religions, is we serve a God who stepped out of heaven and got into the valley. No other religion has that. Our God got his hands dirty, and he let humans do the worst they could to him. And why did he do it? Because he loves you. He put on a clay pot, and he let it get smashed. But he rose again to give us a picture of our new life to come. And until we have that new clay pot, he promises to be with us. And he knows what it feels like. Think of people like Abraham and Sarah, Moses, David, Rahab, Paul, all of these great heroes of the faith. God chose the people who seemed to have the biggest cracks in their pot. Too old and too barren to have children, God said, I can use you to have a kid, to birth a nation from whom the Savior will come. Moses said, I can't speak. God said, I want you to speak in front of Pharaoh. David was ignored by his own family and forgotten when they came to anoint the new king. And God said, I want that 16, 17-year-old to be the next king of Israel. Rahab was a prostitute living in a heathen city. And God said, I want to use you. 
to help my people get the promised land so that Jesus can come and save the world. God can use you. Even if you look in the mirror and think, he can't. Look at all the cracks in my pot. Look at the ravages of time. And for some of us, those cracks are on the inside. God sees them. But they don't disqualify you. God does his best work through the most ordinary of people. Why do we have it? So we have this treasure, the gospel and the power of Christ in us. We have it in frail, ordinary, and weak vessels. But why do we have it? On my wrist, I have a series of little wee scars that none of you will be able to see. And even me standing here, I struggle to see them. I can just make them out in the light here. When I look at those scars, there are two thoughts that come to my mind. And the first one is, seven years ago, I should have been dead. The second one is, the reason I am not dead is because a surgeon did a very incredible procedure that another cardiologist just 18 months ago said was one of the most remarkable things he has ever seen. Why do I tell you that story? Who gets the glory when I show someone my scars? Not me. The surgeon. I can take zero credit for being here. But the surgeon, wow. What an amazing act. So what a great story the cracks in our pots can tell of the treasure that God has put within us. Verse 7 goes on to say, we have this treasure so that the surpassing power can be seen that belongs to God and not to us. How great is this power of God? Again, notice the word surpassing. The original word under that is where we get our English word hyperbole from. And hyperbole, as you know, is you make an extreme statement to catch attention in order to make a point. We might say something like this. The All Blacks totally destroyed the Wallabies. And everyone said, Amen. But did they literally destroy them? No. But we know what we're talking about. We say funny things like, man, that guy is so skinny, he has to run around in the shower just to get wet. That's hyperbole. It's extreme and silly, but it makes a point. You know some of Jesus' most common hyperbole. Before you judge someone and ask them to remove the log stuck in their eye, why don't you look and remove the speck in yours? Hyperbole. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is literally impossible. But all things through God are possible. That's what we're getting at here when we consider how great is this power. It's a power that only God is possible. It is not something we can generate and it is not something we can do in our own strength. 
It has to come from God. And like the surgeon, he gets the glory, not us. There is nothing in all of creation that compares with the power of God. Because here is our temptation. Man, if only I had her voice, then God could use me. If only I had his resources, I could do great stuff for the kingdom. If only I had their talents, imagine what we could do. If only I was bigger or smaller, taller or shorter, funnier, smarter, more beautiful, follically challenged like Simon. But see what we're doing there? We're doing what our world does. We're putting our focus on externals and not internals. And we know from 2 Samuel 17, God cares more about what's on the inside and not the outside. Our world will tell you, you need to be better, brighter, smarter, beautiful, richer, better. And God says, I can take the most ordinary people with all the cracks and the wrinkles and place the greatest treasure inside of them and change this world so that people don't look at the clay pot, but they look at the God of the treasure. And so why do we do these things? Why has God done this? If we skip down to verse 15, wrap up with this idea. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The reason you are God's treasure box is to show and to share God to the world. Because God loved the world enough that he wants everyone to turn to him. And we are the ones he has placed a great treasure in to show him off, not us. And to share him around, not ourselves. I just want to finish by reminding us of the key things in the gospel message. Because I think this is important. Don't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, we discover what it is that is primary and foundational to the gospel. Paul writes things of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, he appeared to one, then 12, then to over 500 people, and then he appeared to the guy who wrote this down. What is the point? In his wisdom, God tied this gospel message that you have to a singular space-time event in history in a real place with real people at a real time. Why is that important? Think about this. Paul goes on to say in those same verses that if that did not happen, of all the people in the whole world, we are the most to be pitied. He is saying that Christianity hangs on a real event in history. If you can prove that Jesus did not live, die, rise again, you are wasting your time. 
that seems like a very vulnerable thing to God to tie all of this to. But in my mind, the evidence is overwhelming. Because whatever you believe, every belief system starts with a step of faith because no one was there at the beginning. And the power of the gospel and the transforming spirit that God gifts those who say yes to him is the very treasure that has been placed inside you, no matter how ordinary you think you are. You are God's treasure box. So again, if you look in the mirror and you discount yourself, just think back to the man who bought that painting. You might think, I'm just a $4 painting that nobody wants. But inside, God has put the greatest of all treasures. You are God's treasure box. And all God's treasure boxes said, Amen.